Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Kumbaya, my alien overlords. Kumbaya. <laughs> my alien overlord. Yes. Well, the <laughs> is plural. Oh, uh, alien overlords. Yeah, because that makes it sound less silly. <laughs> it makes so much more sense now that I know it's plural. <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for you. I mean, who doesn't want more than one alien overlord? <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if there's a whole dozen. Nice baker's dozen. Today we'll be discussing His Human Assistant by Michelle Mills. While working for the Intergalactic Business Bureau, Avery Klein needs somewhere, anywhere to hide after her secret cover is blown. Hannibal Hellstone is a businessman in need of an assistant and Avery takes the assignment. While they are mutually attracted to each other, Hannibal has sworn to never fall in love again. Avery didn't know she was looking for a place to call home, but being welcomed into Hannibal's family feels right. Can she convince Hannibal to give love another chance? Content warning for mentions of suicide, drug abuse, and domestic violence. There will be spoilers beyond this point. Well, Erica, how do we meet Avery? So we first meet Avery. She's literally running. <laughs> <laughs> barefoot i think too right yeah she's got high heels on and she kicks them off because they're slowing her down avery works for the intergalactic business bureau and she's been working undercover at this place called greedy assholes incorporated (laughs) this place called the Terran corporation same difference as an intern but secretly she's a whistleblower and she's figuring out all their financial assholery <laughs> i guess Ooh. <laughs> okay i'll go with it and then reporting it and she just got discovered and they're looking for her and if they find her they will they will actually kill her because she is ruining these corporate bad guys's lives i guess which probably means she is ensuring that they don't make a lot of money they're not right. getting their billions yeah what they're doing is they're um inflating the company's profitability making stockholders think the company is making a lot more money meanwhile they're funneling all that money off their embezzling or whatever shenanigans it's gonna once it blows up it's gonna ruin like everyone's lives except for the few at the top who are perpetrating the crime of course and even mess up New Earth's entire economy because Avery is on this place called New Earth. We don't get a whole lot of world building type backstory, but you get the impression that humans have created this New Earth on some other planet that we don't know much about because Old Earth apparently we don't know if it's gone or if it is still there, but they don't live there. And... I don't know. Did you get a whole lot else about the world building as far as that went? I feel like these are opportunities. If the author doesn't tell you, then you can make up whatever you want. <laughs> so whatever you want to happen to original Earth, that will be true. It will be canon. I think it's important to say that this is the third book in this series, too. So it's possible that there's some world building that is being assumed that the reader already knows about at this point. That's true. Yeah, that's that's the fun thing with uh, romance novels is 
this sort of world building can happen throughout the entire series. <laughs> and if you just pop in in the middle of the series with no prior knowledge, you don't necessarily get the benefit of all of that. You still get like an intact story with the, the primary couple of that book, but you don't necessarily get like any overarching story or world building that's happened throughout the series. Yeah, there are pluses and minuses to that, I think. Because sometimes, for some readers that are curious, they want to know, you know, why is it New Earth? What happened? But then other readers won't care. Also, like, how do you put that information in if it's not related to the couple, basically, without info dumping? Sci-fi romance is kind of like my niche. Like, this is the thing I like. And I think in particular, I like it because it gives the author of the story a lot of opportunity to create a world from a normal person perspective versus from an epic top-down view type of perspective that we get in, you know, more traditional sci-fi. Yeah. And fantasy in general. True. And I I much prefer like a more boots on the ground sort of story than a, you know, bird's eye view sort of story. And this book, you definitely get a boots on the ground sort of story. And there are questions as far as like, what is happening with the world, but the author does leave some nice clues, you know, like there's several parts where uh, Avery mentions like she bought shoes like off the black market or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> to get, you know, like the old world shoes and stuff like that. You know, so there's, there's fun little tidbits throughout that that make the world feel real even though we don't get a whole lot of what's of of the world building in general. I think the most important thing that Mills does is that what she does give you as far as information about the world doesn't conflict. You know there there may not be as much there as possibly one reader may want, but what is there doesn't seem to contrast greatly with what else is already there and it feels very realistic too yeah it feels real this person avery feels real to me i think the author did a really good job at making like a realistic sort of heroine yeah although she is rather um oh what's the word she's she is almost a little too good to be true in that she has like she's like incredibly brilliant and and has like this like her job is for the Intergalactic Business Bureau, the IBB, but she also has this side business that apparently makes her tons of money and she's super sought after. Yeah, I see your point. And she's only 26. <laughs> it is a little too good to be true. I know that's often done a lot of times with male characters and I don't think people bat as much of an eye. That's a good point. It doesn't inherently irk me. When it's done with female characters, but at the same time, it's sort of like, yeah, okay. But there's also the whole fantasy element in general. True. At what point is something too much? You know, oh, you can travel by spaceship, but being like instantly being there, that's too much. Like at some point, it, you know, I guess if it triggers your, <laughs> if it pops your disbelief bubble, then that's a problem. Which her being amazing and awesome didn't. I mean, I was aware that okay, that is a little bit of, I don't know, unicorn or... <laughs> yeah, a little overly amazing and awesome, but not in a story-killing way. No, no. It didn't take away from my enjoyment. No. 
And it made her, I think, a better character, too, because she it, it showed that like she has like this confidence and self yes. she's self-possessed in a way that a lot of heroines aren't because she has like these things that she's built for herself. She's a full fledged adult. Yes. She totally. takes care of her shit. And so those things are super positive and things that I really appreciate about this character and so for me, I'm more willing to overlook the fact that, yeah, maybe she's a little over accomplished. Yeah. Now I appreciated her adultness and how competent she was Absolutely. at her job and how confident she was like, yes, I can totally do this. It's such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, there's this great part too, because as she's running for her life, she sees <laughs> the sign for the, the intergalactic employment agency and it says, want off planet? And she's like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> and so she veers into the agency and she just goes right up to the cu customer representative and says, I need off planet right now. Right the fuck now. And the representative is like, okay, you know, like <laughs> where, you know, what can you do or whatever? And shows her a list of like different positions that are open and Avery says, well, I guess assistant is probably the best fit. And the rep is looking at her like, are you sure? And I love this thing. The rep says, you can make appointments, reply appropriately to correspondence, maintain schedules, and help another being run a business in a professional manner. And Avery says, of course I can. I can do that with one arm tied behind my back and both feet encased in stone. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And then she says, I know I'm a foul mouthed sweaty mess right now, but that's because I just sprinted down the market district in high heels and it's freaking hot outside. I'm actually very professional. You can send me to any type of business anywhere in the four sectors and I'll evaluate it and find ways to increase their profit tenfold. And that's literally what she does for a living. So while she does this IBB job where she, you know, does her whistleblower thing, she also has, she calls it her side hustle, but it's business consulting. And it seems like more than a side hustle to me, but okay. <laughs> Good for her. Exactly. Good for her. And you find out too that she has a master's in business administration from like one of the best schools in the system and graduated first in her class and all this stuff. So she's just balls at what she can do. So Avery even tells the customer service rep when the rep says, well, with humans, we usually put them in like nanny or caregiver roles or things like that. And she's like, no, no, I can't do those. I don't know anything about that business. That is what I know. Yeah, she's very, very confident in what she's able to do and very clear about what she's not able to do. Yay, Avery. Yay, Avery. Yay, Avery. I hope that doesn't catch on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> she does get this assistant position and signs the, the contract, and it's for a year, but she's viewing this as, like, witness protection, almost, and gets taken to the transporter to be transported to the planet where she's going to be working, which is a planet called Tarvos. She doesn't know anything about this planet. But she doesn't care because she just wants off this current planet that she's on. She wants away from the murderers. <laughs> yes, that's the important thing. <laughs> and then we get to meet Hannibal. And Hannibal is Avery's new boss. He is 
large. I, I would say larger than, you know, a large human. And red. I don't think she specifically specifies. But yeah, I would agree with large, red, fearsome. They, they keep saying, like, a human's worst nightmare and describe his species as looking like devils. They can blow fire. They have clawed feet. They have tails. And clawed hands. Yes, they have clawed hands. They actually refer to their hands as their claw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have wings, but I kind of picture them with wings. Oh, okay. But I think the author would have told us if there actually were wings. I didn't picture them with wings. I basically pictured... I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. This legend. It had Tim Curry in it. Yes! I basically pictured a dragon version of that character. I could see that. Yeah. Anyway, he's super fearsome looking, as are all his kind. And he's waiting at the transporter for his new assistant to show up. He's got his eight-year-old son with him, who looks like a mini him, but in a cute little kid way, I guess. Yeah. He has his friend slash co-worker Cap, who's... I would say gently teasing him about hiring a human assistant. And this is all conjecture on my part because I didn't read the first two books, but Cap is one of the characters from one of the first two books who ended up with a human. <laughs> and he's teasing uh, Hannibal about, oh, you're hiring a human, huh? <laughs> An unmated human? Hmm? <laughs> Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yes, because Hannibal <laughs> hired her basically at a discount, sight unseen. So he has no idea of yeah. her gender, her sexual orientation, anything other than human and cheaper. Cheap human. One of Hannibal's chief characteristics is that he's cheap. Frugal. <laughs> Thrifty. <laughs> he likes saving money. <laughs> He's a dragon who likes to hoard his coin. <laughs> that's, you know, that's actually really insightful. Um, I didn't go there at all. My brain was like, oh, he's cheap. <laughs> Happy to help. While he's talking to Cap, Cap says, you could possibly end up working with an unmated human female and you might discover she's your bound. What? No. And in... Uh, Herokin culture, which is the species that Hannibal is, your bound is basically like your life mate. So they get married once and are faithful completely to this individual. The, there is no divorce. That's it. Although apparently you can have like a second bound, like if your first bound died. Yes, which is sort of what happens with Hannibal's mom. Because she, what happened with her was really scandalous because her bound was not faithful. Right. That that was a media frenzy because it was such a big deal. And for Hannibal's backstory, he was previously married. He had a bound who he fell in love with at a very young age and convinced her to be his. They went through the ceremony, got bound, and then he went off because he was in the military and left her alone and pregnant. Meanwhile, she fell in love with another guy, but the other guy followed like societal rules and found someone else and moved far away. And so naughty, naughty. when Hannibal came home, his wife had the baby or his bound, I guess, had the baby 
and then died in a car wreck or, or a vehicle wreck. And it's kind of implied that it could have been a suicide. Yeah, Hannibal really thinks it could have been because of how unhappy she was. And it's sort of the open secret, I guess, secret, because I think it's how we first learned about it in the story, is Avery's new friends, Riley and Chloe, essentially tell her these things. Yeah, basically everyone knows about this, (laughs) but they don't talk about it. No. To Hannibal. Because why? (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> so you think your wife killed herself as a result of this hannibal feels like he trapped his bound into this situation that she felt she had no escape from and that's why she potentially uh committed suicide over it to escape and so he swears he's never going to have another bound again he's never going to trap another woman and so his relationships at this point as far as you know romantic or sexual or whatever like one-time deals So he's very, very casual with it. Yes. To the point that he's like fucked like every woman he works with, basically. (laughs) Yes. At least that was the impression I got. (laughs) That's sort of, I don't know if it's every woman, but yeah. Or every female, but yeah. Yeah. When I say woman, I mean female. (laughs) When I say man, I mean male. Yes. We have aliens in this story. At any rate, um, Avery arrives in the transporter she at first can't see anything because there's this thing called transport blindness, which kind of makes sense to be yeah. fair. Hannibal sees her and is immediately like, oh my God, she's the most beautiful, perfect thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and Cap sees this look and reaction from Hannibal and he's just like, yep, good luck with that. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. <laughs> and it's kind of funny too because one of the i don't know what you would call it one of the the things in this series is that the heroines are all um plus-sized women but hannibal is comparing avery in his mind to the women that his friends are are bound to like the human women his friends are bound to and he talks about how they're too weak or small or too delicate or whatever but he sees avery and he's like oh she's not too delicate so i think he's just like kind of like oh yeah sure whatever humans blah but then he sees the one for him and he doesn't care i don't think it has anything to do with her size yeah he's just dismissive of those other women because they aren't his woman yeah and this is a thing too that's kind of tropey in um sci-fi romances where you have a an alien hero they often will have like an immediate attraction to a particular human but dismiss any other human women they're all monkeys in a zoo except that monkey that one is special (laughs) sexy monkey (laughs) i like that monkey i can tell the difference between that monkey and all the others (laughs) does that make sense though yeah i mean it's it makes sense for the story yeah, and for stories like that, <laughs> it makes sense, I mean, in general and just in real life, because people you know, you look at differently than people you don't, whether that's positive or well, negative. that's true. I mean, you're aware of, like, their features, yeah. you know? Like, I can tell people, like, what color my friend's eyes are and how they typically wear their hair or whatever, but, like, someone I walk past on the street, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah, it's... It, it's things like that. It's something even like with names. 
it's the same sort of thing. Like, you may have a positive or negative association with a name. That I mean, it's just a name. But because of who has that name, all of a sudden, <laughs> on this planet, the, the standard of beauty is different. Like, in general, they were referring to the other women as as sturdy or athletic or, wh- or whatever. Just So there's maybe a different idea of beauty than what is commonly thought of in our culture. Oh, totally. Yeah. But there, there is a thing, though. Um, I've read plenty of alien romance stories where the the heroines are plus sized and that's often looked at as a plus in that alien's culture. So there's that too. There's a tropiness there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> beauty has, has differed in our history. Like at certain points in history, certain physical types were considered more desirable than others. It's just, it's just what's happened. So it makes sense. Like different culture, different thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> It was funny to me because, let me, let me find that part because it, I can't explain it. I need the textual evidence okay. here. Sorry, I'm not getting the funny. Or, I don't know, maybe it's just that it makes sense and I don't think of it as funny. All right, so here in the text it says, Cap and his brother Ager are both bound to human females. I'm used to this rare species more than the average herokin, but I consider Ager's bound to be too colorless. And Chloe Touchstone is very frail, but this female in front of me is thick in all the right places. He's comparing her to the two other human women that he knows as like, oh, she's thicker, she's sturdier, she's whatever. But later you find out that both of the other two human women are also plus size women. Yeah, probably of similar size since they were able to guess her clothing. Yeah, because they lend her clothing. Yeah, no, he's just dismissive of them because they're not his lady. That's why it was funny to me because it was just like, oh yeah, <laughs> these other two women that are basically the exact same body type are too frail. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you got to tell yourself, dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but he is he is instantly entranced with Avery's appearance, which is also interesting too because he was so like he pursued his first bound so strongly and so intensely and it was such a first love sort of situation for him but then he says that he's never lusted after another female as much as he lusts after Avery just at first sight so she doesn't even like his first bound doesn't even compare to how he feels which is kind of sad anybody else hearing Sinead O'Connor's nothing compares to you in their head right now just me okay (laughs) i felt it was sad because i mean didn't he love his first wife (laughs) yeah but it is sad but i don't know there's different kinds of love it's not uncommon for people to have multiple loves it could have been more lust than love because i mean they were high school like quote-unquote high school sweethearts right it may have been a little teenage lust love thing. It was one of those things where it just kind of struck like that. Huh. I don't know if that feels right mm. to me. Yeah. Very dismissive of, of the previous love interest spouse. Yeah. I think if he had said, I've never lusted after another female this strongly, 
since I can remember or something mm. like that. Okay. That would have felt less weird to me than ever, ever in my life. No, that makes more sense. Because to me, it's, yeah, I think dismissive is the right word there. It seems very dismissive of the prior love that he had, regardless of how it ended and how sad it was, etc. I don't know if this is necessarily the, the way Mills wanted it to be taken, but you could see it as like him being, like have that be like an emotional protective armor moment. To move on, he sort of has to downplay the love that he had for his previous wife that's possible i there are uh other romance stories that i've read where the hero has a prior a prior love who died or left and usually if they died then then it's kind of along the same lines as it is in this story where it's like i'm never gonna love again often there isn't too much comparison between the prior love and the new love and i find that if you get too much into that area it can be a little tricky I think for authors because a lot of times when you're reading a romance book you're if if you're a woman you're thinking about it from the female's perspective in the story and trying to relate and saying well how would I feel if I were in this situation and I don't think anyone wants to be compared to you know no (laughs) their their love interests dead ex or whatever you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't it's not a fun a fun comparison a, a good place to be no it's not <laughs> and so i think that that it needs to be handled a certain way or just not touched on or not compared it, it must it must be tricky because this this book is clearly intended to be fun and lighthearted, and that's sort of the tone oh yeah that's struck so it's not like you know this great emotional excavation can really take place while still maintaining the lighthearted voice that she's using and nobody wants to either be compared to the dead ex or be wondering if they were the dead ex how their ex would be like oh yeah i never loved them moving on (laughs) depending on where you fit on the sliding scale of potential (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. <laughs> and you're right, though. I mean, the, the the overarching tone of this book is definitely like, oh, this is a fun space adventure yeah. romp love story. Yeah. It's not like a deep, nitty gritty emotional excavation. Not, yeah, I don't. At least that's not the way that I interpreted it. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I agree with you, but there there is some emotional baggage there that he has he's vowed to never have another bound yeah no he took that seriously i mean he must have been traumatized by that experience yeah and i mean since then he's he's raised his son on his own i mean he's had his mother's help but now his mother's found a a bound you know a happy a happy marriage and moved away and now he's responsible for the entirety of his child's care which is i mean he's a good dad you get that impression Mm -hmm. which is good (laughs) but he's also been thrust into that role yes this wasn't something that gradually evolved it was more like his mom was like you know i'm in love with this guy we're gonna go (laughs) enjoy his retirement you're a big boy bye love you (laughs) bye yeah (laughs) grandma's out (laughs) 
Okay, so let's let's move on. So at any rate, Avery overcomes her transport blindness, and the second she sees the Hirokin guys all standing there, she starts freaking the fuck out and screaming bloody murder because they look terrifying to her. So I guess in all the the galaxy, their their look is more extreme than what she's used to seeing. It's kind of like a funny thing too because she realizes like as soon as she she gets reoriented she realizes she made like this huge social faux pas yeah. oh wait <laughs> like oh my god no these are people i'm sorry people <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's her reaction to it it's like oh i'm so sorry oh my god i can't believe i reacted that way and cap even tells her oh all humans find us terrifying at first it's fine yeah they're, they're very <laughs> accepting and nonchalant about it which I guess it's nice. I mean, better than being offended, I suppose. I suppose. I mean, you get the impression that they don't really interact with human beings that much. Or really anybody else other than themselves. Yeah, they all kind of live on a planet and it's just their race. It's like no other species live there. Um, Hannibal realizes that, that Avery is on the run, like almost immediately, because she doesn't have any luggage or anything like that. And he thinks to himself, well, that's fine because I own a security company and so she'll be safe. Like, I'll take care of it. I mean, it's sweet that that's the conclusion he jumped to. I just thought that was interesting. It's not like, what are her nefarious intentions? It's like, oh, well, she's clearly on the run. Yeah, that's that's the other fun thing um, with with alien <laughs> romance stories is that, oh, my human can do no wrong. <laughs> yes, they can. It doesn't matter who who she is or what she did. She is perfect. It really is. Like, it's oh, a thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of just took it that way. Like, oh, yeah, he's he's already in it. He's he's all in already at this point. Like, I get how that facilitates the romance. You know, <laughs> makes things easier. The, the nice thing, though, in this story, though, is that he thinks these thoughts, but he doesn't necessarily tell tell her, like, oh, I'm going to handle all your problems and I'm going to take care of it and you don't have to worry about anything anymore, little lady. He just privately thinks it to himself, like, oh, well, she's in a good spot. Yeah, because I don't think Avery would have reacted kindly to that. No, I don't think she would have appreciated that. <laughs> I mean, when he does try to sort of orchestrate his way later in the book... She stands up and says, no, well, if this is going to happen, then this is what I'm comfortable with. Yeah, this is going to happen on my terms. Yeah, and he respects her wishes, which is nice. Yeah, he does. Yay, Hannibal. Another thing I really like about um, alien romance stories in general is that you kind of have an excuse for, like, the overbearing behavior of the guy. Mm -hmm. Because they're not necessarily human, so so you can imagine, oh, they have different social customs, they have different expectations, they yeah. have different things, you know? And so you can kind of excuse certain behavior or some behavior can be seen as fine when if it were a human doing it, it wouldn't be fine. Because in theory, there would be different norms in place. Right. And you also get like some fun interplay, which this story does do, where... You know, the human doesn't necessarily understand the alien culture. The alien doesn't necessarily understand the human culture. 
And so there's like that fun little social dance too. Like, well, how do we interact with each other? Like that kind of thing. I enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. So when Hannibal then tells her like, oh, so you'll be living with myself and my son. And she's like, wait, what? I thought there'd be like company housing. No, no. Assistants live with the people they assist. Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) You know, different different cultural norm so they drive back to hannibal's residence she's sitting up front and his son dagger is sitting behind them along with cap i believe and then they drop cap off and this is where we get a kind of a, a idea of of their size because dagger who's eight is almost as tall as avery so that's where you get kind of an impression of how large a full-grown Harrokin is. Well, how do we know how tall Avery is, though? Because, I mean, she could be like five foot. We don't. But even if she's a short human, like an eight-year-old human is pretty yeah, small. Yeah, no, that would still be way shorter. I was just curious. But when they get to uh, Hannibal's house, their pet dog, well, their pet Wolver which is basically a three-headed hairless doggy, gets all super excited and jumps up on Avery's chest and knocks her to the ground, you know, is trying to like jump all over her like a puppy. Like, hey, a new human or new person. (laughs) Yay. Ah. (laughs) And then Dagger sends out a flash flame. So he breathes fire at the wolver, making it back (laughs) off. So we have a couple scary things happen right away for Avery at her new home. <laughs> Welcome to hell. I mean home. <laughs> Cuz she's like home, yeah. home of she's the like, fire. <laughs> <laughs> the wolver's name is Skylo and you find out he is just a puppy and was supposed to be crated while they were gone and got out of his crate and was just very excited to meet a new person. And that's all that was. Yes, and it's unusual because Skylo actually likes Avery. Apparently he does not like basically anybody other than Hannibal and Dagger. And apparently Skylo also breathes fire. Like everyone breathes fire on this planet. Except for the humans. (laughs) When they go into the living room, (laughs) they describe the the havoc that Skylo has, has wrought. And it says... The couch and a few tall potted plants are on fire. There's a plethora of shredded pillows and white stuffing littering the floor. Hannibal steps forward and blows out the flames. So they're just like, whatever, fire. Woohoo. And it kind of made me wonder, too, because the way the house is described, it seems very normal, I guess. You know, there's plants, there's pillows. Which makes me wonder if they live on a planet where everyone breathes fire, aren't they worried about fire? They might have like fire resistant skin. Yeah, but it can still destroy their stuff. That's what the economy is for. See, that's the thing. It's like the pillows and the plants were on fire. I mean, you would think they'd have like flame resistant pillows. Maybe flame resistant (laughs) stuff is just really expensive. So it's cheaper to buy the not flame resistant stuff. Avery gets some time to herself to kind of get settled in her area, like her room. She starts thinking about how hot Hannibal is. Like she's super attracted to him. But she also assumes that he's married because he has a kid. Yeah, so she asks Hannibal, so when do I get to meet Mrs. Hellstone? And then awkward chirping of crickets. Crickets of awkwardness. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she kind of goes from like the awkwardness of, well, I'm attracted to him. He's attracted to me, but he's married to the I'm attracted to him. He's attracted to me, but he's my boss. 
So she's still putting barriers up to that relationship. Like, no, no, we still can't because boss. Oh, the house that um, Hannibal lives in is toward the back of the community where they live and they have like a wall around the community the wall butts up against this preserve that is closed during the rainy season because that's when the fire beasts mate yep (laughs) which is important to know for later so you have like these giant uh devil looking fire breathing dudes that live there that are like the people there they have pet three-headed fire breathing doggy dudes but then there's also the, quote, fire beasts that are larger. So it's a very, very scary planet, I think. Yeah, you'd be a little afraid to be there, I'd think. <laughs> when Avery asks Hannibal about Mrs. Hellstone, he does tell her that he's never going to take on a new, a new bound. He will always remain unmated. And Avery is immediately like, oh, that sucks. How unfortunate for my loins. <laughs> And so she's sitting in her room, you know, kind of just freaking out a little bit. (laughs) I was rude. I screamed at my boss because he was terrifying looking. And then I asked him about his dead wife in front of his child. This is terrible. Best day of work ever. (laughs) I am the worst person ever. Best first day. (laughs) Woohoo! HR would have a field day with this one. Um... (laughs) She does get a call on her tablet from Margaret, who is her co-worker at the IBB and the one who kind of, I guess, is monitoring Avery's mission and has discovered that things have gone south. Avery's cover was blown and she's just trying to figure out if she's safe. And Margaret determines that Avery is safe where she is and that she should just hold tight and stay there while they handle all the fallout Yes, because apparently Avery's been chipped, so the Intergalactic Business Bureau can find her because of her language chip. Yes. That's not creepy. I mean, yay! They know where she is. No, of course not. You get a little bit more exposition here. Um, Avery tells Margaret she's working as an assistant at a place called Molten Lava Security, co-owned by Hannibal Hellstone and Burglemere Touchstone aka cap but apparently the touchstone brothers uh saved the world or saved the planet or something yeah they saved the planet a few times i i think hannibal helped he's hero support and again (laughs) this is probably story from the first two books yeah prior heroes and then avery gets we get a little bit more exposition on avery as well because she starts thinking about like her life up to this point, you know, kind of one of those, how did I get to where I am now sort of thoughts. Yeah, she's self-aware and she's doing a bit of inventorying. Yeah, and she doesn't have like very much stuff. She lives a very transient life, frequently will go undercover and have aliases and things like that. Um, the reason she's in the position where she she is now is she grew up on New Earth, which is apparently crappy. Um, because they describe it as the desert wasteland of New Earth, and escaped her family of synthetic drug criminals to make a better life. And then went off and made a better life because she kicked butt academically and got an awesome job and created her own business. She overcame. Kicking butt and taking names, man. Yeah. We also get a bit of a physical inventory. Avery takes a look at how she looks 
how she fits in her clothes and how she feels about her appearance and all these things. I don't know. I wouldn't say she has a lot of baggage about her size, but she does think about it. And there are a couple times when she thinks about how previous romantic interests have considered it like a deal breaker or, oh, you'd be pretty, except you're not thin. I think she accepts her appearance. She's like, I think I look good. They didn't think that. So, ow, my feelings, because they hurt them. But I think overall she has a healthy level of self-esteem and she does talk about how um, all the hurricane are large and strong and make her feel more petite yeah so she's in a situation now where she feels small whereas before she was in a situation where she didn't feel small yeah but just because she didn't feel small i mean she could have felt average that's true she could have felt average before we don't know we have questions but i don't i don't know i don't really want to get caught on her weight too much because it is it is a thing in the story like oh the heroine is plus sized but she has a relatively healthy body image and she's aware that she's plus sized but is typically fine with it i feel like you can imagine any hero or heroine with whatever body type you want because it's all in your head yeah and the other thing too is a lot of times in books the heroine will be like oh she wasn't pretty or she had freckles or she was too pale or she was plus sized or she was whatever yes they find some physical aspect of themselves that they think of as a flaw yeah there's some perceived flaw but the hero sees it as a good thing which doesn't differ from real life either no it really doesn't you know i mean oftentimes if someone loves you they they don't look at your appearance critically the way that you look at your own appearance yeah maybe they're into you know yeah they're into whatever it is exactly whatever physical aspect and in this case that is true because hannibal thinks she's perfect she is perfection as far as hannibal is concerned which is good she's a goddess that will help with the romance Avery kind of settles in for the evening. She comes out of her room. She makes friends with the Wolver. They're hanging out. She's petting him. Um, Hannibal comes out and sees them together and is a little nonplussed. He's like, huh, I feel a little jealous about this dog being so close to this woman. (laughs) It's a Romeo glove moment. (laughs) And Avery says, oh, his skin is so soft. I didn't think he'd be this soft. And, And Hannibal is very creepy because he says, oh, his skin and mine are nearly the same texture yeah i was kind of like uh buddy (laughs) yeah when i read that part i'm just like ew (laughs) do we have to go there you're my boss can we not (laughs) line do not cross i want to talk about how the pet feels without talking about how you feel (laughs) (laughs) don't make my mind go there (laughs) you tease because especially if he's not going to be bound although it's still inappropriate because boss and employee i get that but and they have dinner together and this is where we get introduced to the uh fact that dagger is walking on his toes which is unusual and hannibal's a little concerned about it and he's made an appointment for dagger to go to the doctor later avery gets along with dagger like immediately like she just fits in just perfectly yay and even though she doesn't really view herself as a kid person or a pet person she likes dagger and she likes skylo yeah (laughs) and honestly i kind of relate to that in a way it's like oh i I don't really like kids but i like my kid which is good i like the kids that belong to me and the kids that belong to people i care about of course kids in general eh, 
That makes sense. Or like pets too, you know? It's like, oh, well, my pet is different from just animals in general. Yeah, because the connection has been forged. And then Avery starts talking to Hannibal about his business because she's she doesn't tell him this initially, but she's decided that to pay him back, even though he, he supposedly doesn't know he's rescued her from her prior situation, she wants to pay him back by doing a like a financial inventory of his business and help improve his business. She starts talking to him about his business and all the different things that's been going on with it. She's super specific and insightful and Hannibal really appreciates it because everyone else's eyes kind of glaze over when he starts talking about his business. (laughs) But it's a shared interest for them. Yay, bonding, but not being bound. Yeah, she tells him that in addition to being his assistant, she's going to audit his business and see how she can increase his efficiency and profitability. And he says, is this going to cost me extra? And she's all, oh no. And his heart goes (laughs) pitter-pat. It'll be okay. (laughs) There are several times where Avery tells Hannibal, oh, you could save money this way. And Hannibal's just like, oh, wow. Oh, this woman. (laughs) (laughs) He's into it. He is so into her financial sense. (laughs) It's very cute, actually. It is. It's very cute. (laughs) (laughs) And then Hannibal puts Dagger to bed and they have a little heart to heart where Dagger's like, Skyla really likes Avery and I really like Avery. Do you really like Avery? And Hannibal's like, yeah, she's she's fine. She's my employee, though. Yeah, I mean, Dagger was a little <laughs> concerned because he had overheard her saying, I'm not really into kids and pets. Right. And Hannibal reassures him, you know, he's like, just be yourself and that'll be enough. Yeah, it's very sweet. But you kind of get the impression with this conversation that Dagger wants a mother figure because he does say if I'm nice to her, she'll stay with us or maybe if I'm nice to her, she'll Which stay with us. Which is a very kid way to think about it. It is. I felt like Dagger was pretty um pretty authentic for a yeah, kid. Yeah, I did too. I feel like the kid the kid voice was well done in the story. I agree. So the next day Avery gets woken up by the other two humans that live on this planet and they're super duper excited to meet her because yay a new human and they all get along immediately you get a bit of hinting at the prior books i think Mm -hmm. because these are the two heroines from the prior books and they also kind of hint at like oh well you're here with hannibal huh Hmm." (laughs) they're already matchmaking in their heads i think oh yeah they totally are but avery at this point she's boss zoned hannibal yeah he's hot but not for me So Avery and Hannibal start their day. They drop Dagger off at school and they go back to the company and Hannibal takes her on a tour of the facility. And the whole time he's holding her hand and like putting his hand at the small of her back and introducing her to people and explaining how things are and all this. And it's very overly familiar, but Avery is just telling herself, maybe this is just how they do it here. You know, like assistants live with their bosses. Maybe bosses hold their assistants hands. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then she goes off on her own to go and talk to the accountant and get started on her audit, her financial audit. And as she's on her way back to the office, she overhears two females chatting about Hannibal's new assistant and how he's giving her a tour and all this. And they're talking about like, it's it's almost like it's a scandalous thing. Oh, he's hired an unmated human female. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. 
Mm, unmated. They kind of chit chat a little bit about how he's kind of a one and done kind of guy and maybe they should let her know that because they don't want her to get hurt. It's not really mean spirited. It's funny too because in a lot of stories you'll hear like you know someone will overhear people gossiping about you and it's always mean spirited and so I was expecting it to be mean spirited in this book and it really isn't. They're just super nice. They're like oh we're kind of worried about her. We should probably let her know that he's kind of easy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want our feelings to get hurt yes <laughs> i thought that was kind of like an unusual take on the whole eavesdropping sort of thing yeah, it's well-intentioned <laughs> but it does like even though it's well-intentioned and everything um it does kind of hurt avery's feelings a little bit because she was maybe building up like the fact that he'd been so hands-on with her that day that maybe he was into her and now she's like oh well maybe not maybe he's just expecting this to go a certain way and i don't want it to be like that you know i don't want to be with him like one time yeah like she seems to be teetering on the point of if this could be something real then maybe but she's not interested in being an office fling. yeah hannibal can immediately tell that something happened when she gets back to the office because she's very much more standoffish at this point because she overheard those yeah. other ladies talking i mean we know why. and now she's like oh, i don't know i'm gonna just back off here it's, it's just like something has changed only i do not know what it is <laughs> And he says, are you okay? And she says, yes, giving me a fake smile. <laughs> he sees the warning signs. But he he pretty much immediately puts two and two together because he sees the two uh, females walking down the hall and he's all, oh, he she probably overheard them gossiping about me. Because there's stuff to gossip about. Whoops. <laughs> And then she learns that he's created an office space for her in his office, which isn't typical, but she doesn't know that. And he tells her, oh, yes, assistants share workspace. This is what we do here. <laughs> he's already starting to change. <laughs> and, and this is one of those instances where if this were a contemporary romance or or a human romance you know it wouldn't be funny it would be like oh wow that's like really gross and creepy but because it's an alien for some <laughs> reason it's fine i don't know did you do you feel that way too because for me that's like one of the things where i can accept like this more crazy possessive uh behavior from a alien hero versus a human hero I guess maybe it was also the Hannibal persona and you get the impression that he's not trying to like totally dominate her. You know what I mean? Like this is not like a, I want to control. I want to make sure that you're not going to hurt yourself on the stapler or, you know, like that overbearing quality. It's more like, no, he wants to be near her. Exactly. It's like, no, no, she feels, she makes me feel good. I want her near. I'm just going to tweak these rules a little. So, I mean, and it is a romance she's my emotional support human exactly <laughs> exactly but for some reason that's okay <laughs> i think it's it's acceptable <laughs> it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the book it wasn't one of those things where it was yeah. like a, oh no oh no 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 i think also the light-hearted nature yeah there's several parts in this book where i read it and i was like hmm, i wonder what em is going to think about this <laughs> uh -oh. from the alien perspective <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, th I think part 
because it's all stuff that I normally don't look at very critically because it's very much like, oh, this happens in these books. I, I think it was part of that. It was also part of just the overall tone of the book is very lighthearted. And at no point did Avery feel uncomfortable with it. That's true. You know, but sometimes the cues that you get from the heroine is, oh, there he is looking at me again. Where it's almost written in such a way like, you know, if if the couple had good chemistry and if those sorts of things were better established, that it wouldn't be the, oh, he's looking at me, it's creepy. You know, is it chemistry or creepy? Right. Where it teeters. <laughs> the teeter-totter of chemistry and creepy kind of thing. Whereas this, it felt maybe not quite chemistry yet, but it, it didn't feel creepy. And there's another aspect to the world building too here because he's physically like he's physically uncomfortable and anxious when he's not near her because he's at a point where he feels like she's my person, she's my, my mate, you know, almost even though he won't go there in his brain yet but his body feels that way. And it kind of makes me think that, oh, maybe this is like a thing with their, with their species too. Mm-hmm. Which in a lot of alien books it is you know it's very much a physical thing where they get anxious or or um upset when they're separated from their woman and the author doesn't delve into it too far here he's just like oh he put her desk there and now he feels less anxious because she's next to him so it could just be just a light thing or it could be something to do with his species we don't really get into it here he does order like fancy lunch which is completely unlike him because he is so as you said it frugal and paid full price aka cheap yes he paid full price no coupon unheard of and his friend cap shows up and he's all hmm interesting (laughs) and avery says oh do you always eat like this and he's like oh yes of course (laughs) this is my norm (laughs) liar and she says oh do you know we can write this off this is a work lunch and and this is one of those moments where he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you are wonderful. <laughs> and he falls deeper in love. <laughs> so while Avery's doing her, her audit of the business and her assistanting, he's looked into her situation and has discovered that she is an undercover operative for the IBB and has been looking to clean up corruption on her home planet. And that's why she's on the run. Ta-da! <laughs> he doesn't tell her he knows all this, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have ruined the lighthearted mood of the story if if it had gotten brought up because this is very much a back burner sort of issue yeah it would have because even even (laughs) when he reveals later that he knows about that stuff she's like oh okay you know it's not a you invaded my privacy yeah it's it's not and i i don't necessarily want it to be like that either like i'm i'm kind of fine with it being really light and surface level in this book yeah i think it fits with with the rest of the story again i mean avery's okay with it so i guess it's okay it's one of those like ah character very different from me moments (laughs) that's every character m yeah that's quite a lot of them you are an enigma i am an m enigma Uh, So back to like the actual (laughs) conflict in the story, Um, Avery, as the assistant, discovers that Hannibal is double booked for tomorrow. He has an appointment that's a work appointment and he has a doctor appointment for his son. Oh, the conflict. 
So Hannibal says, oh, it's fine that I'm double booked. I can handle the work thing and still take my kid to the doctors. Don't worry about it. When they get home that night after dinner, Hannibal has some special alone time where he just can't get over being so close to Avery all day long. And he wants to be with her. He wants to mate with her. He wants to do all the things to her. But he also wants to respect her boundaries. Yay. And so he he's jerking off to this image As he reaches orgasm, he says her name, and then he notices his door is open. But he doesn't really think much of it. He just gets up and closes the door and falls asleep. (laughs) Yet we find out... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we find out Avery had gotten up in the middle of the night, heard noise, saw the door was open, and watched him masturbate, and got super hot by it, and then went and masturbated herself because it was that hot. So do you feel like this was an invasion of his privacy? Do you feel like she should have been like, oh, sorry. I feel like she should have been like, okay, I'm going to take 10 paces back and then stomp down the hallway. Doom, doom, doom. (laughs) Person here. (laughs) You are not alone. (laughs) You are not alone as you think you are. Stomp, stomp. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I have the Michael Jackson song, You Are Not Alone, running in my head right now. <laughs> but what do you think about it, though? Like, because because when she does tell him, he's just like all turned on by it. He's all, ooh, you watched me and you liked it. I mean, yay for them that that's his reaction. <laughs> so tricky. Because there's like the, the me reaction... Which is coupled with what I think I would do in that scenario. Which is like, yee! Which is probably akin to like, oh, we need to back away quietly. I don't know if I'd necessarily stomp off. Um, I'd just be like, well, this was clearly a private moment. Not meant for me. I'm going to <laughs> skedaddle. I'm not going to stay and watch until it's done. No. I mean, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to leave it there. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to put this in my personal spank bank. (laughs) I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is (laughs) wouldn't just stand there. Because then it feels like that's not an accident. That's like a deliberate act of voyeurism, which is fine. But again, with consent, you know, like. Yeah, at that point, it's a choice. It's a consent thing. It is a consent thing. Again, it's one of those, like, I'm so glad that that worked out for them after the fact. I wasn't sitting there like, oh, no. You know, I wasn't judging the book for it. And it didn't take away from my enjoyment. It was just one of those, like, oh, okay, that's a way to go. Like, you could go that way. Yeah, this is one of those things that kind of pinged my radar a little bit. I think... I think you hit the nail on the head with talking about consent there. I think that seeing it happen and being turned on and putting in your personal spank bank as you sneak off is one thing. Seeing it happen and then watching it (laughs) before you sneak off is a completely other thing. (laughs) And I mean, again, they're, they're all okay with it. So it's fine. It's like the, you know, him going into her personal background and being like, oh, you're on the run. You know, they're, their boundary settings are clearly at different places than mine. <laughs> yeah, that's that's his invasion, yeah, for sure. That's what that feels like to me. But they're into it, so yay. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to judge the fictional characters. 
too much. I am, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> Moving on. So in the morning, we find out that actually the work thing was really important and Hannibal can't miss it. And so he asks Avery to take Dagger to the medical appointment. And Avery is like, uh, okay, I will. I've been entrusted with a child that is not mine. Uh-oh. I'm a little worried about this, but okay. <laughs> So she does take Dagger and she's very kind to him and they they get along really well. When they get to the medical lab, Dagger gets seen and we find out Avery got temporary guardian rights for this appointment so she can actually make medical decisions for Dagger, which is very, very trusting of Hannibal. Yes, yes it is. Oh, wow. Yes, brand new assistant I've known for two days. Like I said, boundary settings in a completely different place than mine. (laughs) (laughs) It's fantasy. We learn that uh, the reason Dagger's walking on his toes is there's some issue with his spine, but he's not going to need surgery. He just needs to wear hard casts. Corrective footwear. Like he'll get them changed each week and they'll gradually move his feet into the correct position and then that will fix the problem. Avery is a little freaked out because she's like, I don't want to make this important medical decision for your dad. Fair enough. So she does try to call Hannibal, but he's unreachable. Naturally. And then she discusses the pros and cons with Dagger and makes sure he understands what's going to happen. And then basically asks him if he wants to do it today and get it started today, or if he wants to wait and talk to his dad later. And Dagger says he wants to get it started today. Avery is like, okay, if you're sure, because there's these things. And Dagger's like, yes, I'm sure. He does get the first cast put on his feet that day he gets pain medication that Avery can give to him if he's too uncomfortable or whatever and they get back to the house and she just takes care of him she makes him food and they hang out you know they watch shows some of which terrify her Dagger and Avery have formed like this relationship and he trusts her and he really cares about her and she's taking care of him it's sweet she cares about him and so when Hannibal gets home he sees all this has happened and initially he's a little worried worried about dagger and then he realizes that he's totally fine because his emotional needs have been met that day yes he's okay with avery making the call that she did and letting dagger decide that whole thing again for the purposes of the story i think is all good because love interest is bonding with my child yeah faith i placed in her decision making ability was justified yay yeah but it also seems really 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 fast yeah i agree i think this is definitely one of those because romance (laughs) it felt fast for me anyway their whole relationship is like on a freight train yeah it just is full speed ahead the second she transports over there it's like okay we're heading toward relationship town it's it's definitely one of those (laughs) where you're just like okay i'm just gonna sit back and enjoy the ride because that's i think the intention oh totally And then that night, he's all angsty because she's not next to him anymore. He's all into the fact that she took care of his kid. And so he comes into her room and he's like, I require you to sleep in my bed at night now. I require a million dollars. Thank you. And then he says assistants and their employers also share rooms. (laughs) And she catches on with this. Like she's not going... Okay. She calls him on it at this point. Yeah. 
She says, oh, come on now. You expect me to believe that our sleeping arrangements weren't specified in the contract. And he says, I am changing your work requirements. You will work with me during the day, eat all meals with me, and you will spend time with my son and my wolver. And each night you will sleep in my bed next to me. (laughs) And she says, you want me to just sleep next to you? And he says, yes. Having you there each night will help me sleep better. I enjoy your scent. (laughs) And that's when she admits that she caught him jerking off. And he's just like, oh, good. She knows I'm into her. (laughs) Mystery solved. (laughs) And then, (laughs) then she says, I will go with you to your room only if we're going to sleep in the bed and nothing more. We're not going to have sex. (laughs) And he respects that. Yeah, he says, okay, we'll do, we will just lay there and do nothing, but I may cuddle, basically. Yeah, I don't think even he knows what cuddling is. I think she introduces him. No, he doesn't use that word. He says, um, I might need to lay close to you and possibly press my skin against yours to maximize my proximity to your scent so I can sleep. (laughs) And then the fact that he says this next part, I'm just like, Kate, how did you say this with a straight face, dude? But he says, and my cock might become engorged, but I will ignore it and continue to sleep, as will you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How did he say that? (laughs) That whole spiel was surreal to me I the know. Whole thing. It's like, come please be my body pillow and don't mind my erection like, <laughs> don't mind mr happy poking you in the back <laughs> we will ignore it okay oh. <laughs> <laughs> because romance and freight train let's go <laughs> We have boarded this train. We have paid for this ticket. We're enjoying the ride. (laughs) But they do. They sleep together. They spoon. She wakes up feeling refreshed. She enjoyed snuggling with him. Yay. Happy accident. And she's, she's flattered that he's super into her and doesn't seem to like think anything off about her body type or whatever. But she also has at this point been uh, messaged by the other uh, females working at the facility, you know, letting her know about Hannibal's ways. (laughs) You do know he's promiscuous, right? (laughs) Yeah, and she thinks to herself, well, if I can only have sex with him once, maybe I'll have sex with him before I leave so I don't miss out. But I also don't have to sleep next to him every night and pretend it didn't happen. Exactly. Because she's still planning (laughs) on leaving, so she's trying to protect her heart. She thinks he's into her, but she doesn't think he's emotionally into her. No, she doesn't. So the next day, they're getting ready for bed, and Avery's taking too long, and she's thinking to herself, I don't know, does he want me to sleep with him every night? Was this like a one-night thing? And Hannibal comes in and he's all, why aren't you ready yet? I've been waiting for you. You need to move into my bedroom now. Hmm. It's not enough that you will sleep with me every night. Now you must have all your things in my room. (laughs) And she's like, okay, fine. As long as we don't have sex. And he's like, okay, I agree. (laughs) Get your stuff. We're moving. (laughs) Yes, yes. Move along. (laughs) Here, I will grab your shit. But she's fine with it. She actually likes his room better. (laughs) (laughs) and so she's laying next to him she's super attracted to him she says why are you torturing me like this (laughs) 
he turns off the lights and says, this is not torture, it is contentment. And she says, but this can't last. (laughs) And he says, do not worry of this, just sleep. (laughs) So I think Hannibal's a little bit in denial here because Avery is kind of sending him like, okay, well, I'm super into you and you can probably tell. And I've told you no sex, but this is pretty crazy. (laughs) And he's just like, No, this is good. I like it. Maybe he feels like he needs to do penance. What do you mean? Well, because of the wife, the previous bound. Oh. (laughs) Maybe it's some sort of emotional penance he feels like he needs to do. Oh, maybe he's torturing himself Mm -hmm. as well. I don't know if he necessarily (laughs) considers it torture for her. I mean, although their relationship then soon after changes, where he's like, no, no, I'll give you orgasms before bed, but I will not have sex and I will not orgasm. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, it progresses. Yes, I will go down on you every night, but that's it. (laughs) Wow, that's a real hard sell too, man. (laughs) I think Avery could have stopped there and just... (laughs) <laughs> live like that alternatively. I think maybe <laughs> no she didn't want to because she's a generous lover she wants to give How also nice for her. <laughs> and for Hannibal so time passes and Avery is the one who always takes dagger to his appointments and there's this one cute little um scene where it turns out that one of the times they went dagger brought his little toy dragon with him and the lab put little casts on the front legs of the toy dragon so cute. I just thought it was the cutest thing very realistic <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, Avery's been helping save him money here, there, all over the place. And she discovers that one of his investments has paid off incredibly and he has made tons and tons and tons of money. And he immediately is like, I want to pass this wealth on to the employees here. Please coordinate this profit share. And that makes Avery get the warm fuzzies because she's like, oh, he's ethical. So apparently money saving is what gives him the warm fuzzies. She's like, ethics, warm fuzzies. (laughs) Yeah. And meanwhile, Hannibal has been in contact with Avery's friend, Margaret, from the IBB. Even though Avery isn't aware of this, Margaret and Hannibal are talking about the situation that she left. And he's been helping protect her because she's a key witness. And Margaret sends him a message saying, oh, they've discovered where she is. Does she need to move? And Hannibal says, no, she's she's staying here with us. She's surrounded by people who work for the security company. She's fine. So I guess it's fine. I think I think that kind of bothered me a little bit. I feel like not telling her that her life is in danger is maybe an important thing to not yeah, tell Yeah, I don't someone. know if he ever confesses to that later. I don't remember if he does or not. But yeah, that's that was one of those things I'm like, you should tell her. I mean, her life is important to her. She would want to know. I mean, he kind of does because when they attack, he tells her. Well, yeah, but they've attacked at that point. <laughs> that's like telling someone you're going to hit them in the face with the brick as the brick is coming in contact with their face. I mean, it's sort of like that's a little or after the fact. Right. Like, oh, by the way, I was going to hit you in the face with the brick. It's like, but er. <laughs> It would have been nice to know earlier. Thank you, though. But that's another thing where, like, there isn't really much made of it. That's, again, it's not 
much made of it because the tone of the story, I guess, could be one of the reasons it would take away from lighthearted nature of the story in general. But that is, again, it's one of those moments where it's one of those like, oh, definitely a character. (laughs) That does not feel (laughs) right. (laughs) No, it didn't feel, didn't feel genuine, I guess, to me. I don't know about that. But it would be one of those for her to find out after if she ever did and just be like, oh, well, it's fine. Like maybe with enough hindsight, you know, 20 years later, it wouldn't feel like as much of a big deal. I don't know. I think I would be more upset if they hadn't told me for 20 years. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Like you've been keeping this secret for how long? What other secrets are you keeping? That was one of those things like it should have been her choice. He didn't. It wasn't his. Yeah, this is the main issue with the story for me is that he separates this threat of Avery's that she's trying to escape from Avery without discussing it with her at all. He makes these decisions on her behalf. Now, you could make the argument that it's mutual because he also gave her temporary guardianship of his kid, letting her make decisions about something that was incredibly important to him. They're not equal, though. He granted her that permission to make decisions about his kid. Yeah, he made the choice to give her the permission. Exactly. She didn't just assume it. He gave it to her. Right, and she didn't want it either. No, she was terrified of it. But in the other instance where he makes the decision of not telling her about the imminent threat, that's completely different. It's him making a choice for possibly selfish reasons because he doesn't want her to potentially go away. And it could be arrogant reasons like, no, no, we have all these security people. It really is the best place for her. But rather than her make that determination, I'm just going to do it for her. I think that's the main issue with this book for me is that whole part of the story. Because there were so many instances where they were able to talk things through or things where it was like, okay, well, different boundary settings or whatever. But that one, it just, it's a little bit of a harder sell to wash over it so much. Like, oh no, it's fine. Yeah, I agree. Because he he does assume that she can take care of herself because later when she's in danger, he doesn't tell her what to do. He's like, no, no, you'll be fine, basically. I have faith in you. Which is wonderful and encouraging but you didn't trust her to make that decision before that's the other thing too because i don't really feel like it's an issue of trust for him i feel like he's just like eh, i got it handled it's fine like he doesn't take her feelings into consideration necessarily more than he doesn't trust her to make the decision he wants her to make no that's probably right because he trusts her decision making in other areas i think it's just self-centeredness on his part like oh i got it handled No one else needs to know. It's fine. That's the thing is if he had talked about it with her, who's to say she wouldn't have chosen to stay? I mean, she probably would have stayed. Especially if he was like, hey, we can upgrade your security. We can do these different things. Where else are you going to go and be in such a fiery fortress? You know, like where where else are you going to be in this protected? There's a safe house in the house. I am the security dude. I have the security things. You know, she may ultimately (laughs) have elected to stay. And it would have been an easy thing, I think, to have that moment. And then it wouldn't feel so much like he's not taking her feelings into consideration and just being like, nope, this is what I want. 
Because he, he takes her feelings into consideration throughout the story, which is nice. Yeah, I, I just think it falls under that same thing with, like, consent. Exactly. She didn't consent to this decision that involves her, potentially her life. Her body, her life. Yep. Okay, so moving on. Oh, the Secretary of Defense makes a visit to the facility, and Avery charms the Secretary of Defense. They become buddy-buddy. They're in front of all the employees, in front of all the important people, and he's just overcome with with her. And so he kisses her, like, in front of everybody. They have, like, this giant make-out level kiss. He hasn't kissed anyone for eight years because he doesn't kiss like the one night stands at all. And he's just into it. And everyone starts clapping and cheering and saying things like claim that female, which is just really embarrassing. His son is there and like gives him a hug. And they all walk into the office together like a little family. And it's just very, very, very awkward. (laughs) For me, yeah, as a reader. Yeah, that was a little, <laughs> a little weird. But then he's privately berating himself over this display of his. He's like, why am I forcing myself on this female? When it's obvious he didn't force himself on her because she responded. She was like into it. Yeah, so he's he's kind of started to realize the reality of Avery's situation because he's made like this public claim in his culture. He's basically like one step away from being engaged and he's like thinking, I need to stand back and give her some space. She's not going to be here forever. She's got this job. This issue with her being in danger is going to end. She'll no longer need to be hiding. She may go somewhere else. You know, he's aware that her side business of business consulting is in high demand. And he's just like going, there's no way she would tie herself to me. Like, she's awesome. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, he has some low self-esteem issues because earlier in the story, when she gets that visit from her human friends, Chloe and Riley, she learns that he has a whole bunch of, I think it's medals and stuff from when he fought in one or multiple of their wars and he keeps them hidden away. Yeah, he doesn't think much of himself. And he has like this unresolved baggage with his his previous bound you know and he actually at this point in the story he tells Avery his history with his prior bound which Avery already knew but it's important that he told her because now he knows that she knows and you get the important insight too because he says like he adds on to the story and says you know the reason I vowed to never have another bound is because I don't want to force another female to feel like their only alternative is suicide. I don't want to trap someone else. That's not cool. <laughs> yes, he doesn't want to be the hair shirt that strangles somebody. Yeah. He tells her that what they tell others is up to her at this point. He will follow whatever boundaries she wants as far as their physicality. And he'll also allow her to set the story for whatever they tell others. And at this point, she asks him if he'll have sex with her. And she's like, I know you only do it one time. Can I have my one time right now? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, no, no, we're going to follow your rules. Denied. 
And then this is the point where Avery says, you kind of have me on a pedestal, but here's my history. And so she tells him the story of her crappy childhood and her crappy parents and how her dad uh, beat her mom or her, her stepdad beat her mom. And at one point beat her so severely that he, he pulled out a knife and Avery thought he was going to kill her mom. And so she shot him in the chest with a blaster and killed him. Her mom got taken care of and recovered, but never forgave her for this. And so the second she got any money, she went to school and made her own life. Hannibal kind of likes this story. Like he, he doesn't like that she had a sad, crappy childhood, but he, he likes, you know, that she's strong. She did what she had to do to save her mom, even though her mom didn't want to be saved. And then she left and made a better life for herself. And he sees that that means she's more worthwhile. She's a strong, worthwhile person. So do you think that her objective of being considered a person being was successful? Like not to be a goddess, not to be a pedestaled person. I think that she sees this as a pedestal, but I don't know that it actually is because he he's in love with her. And I think he's aware of the reality of who she is as a person. He just likes it. And I think maybe she struggles to accept that because she looks down on herself for her past and she doesn't understand how someone else could see that and not think less of her. No, I think you're right. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah. And so while she feels like she's on a pedestal, I don't know that she actually is. I mean, again, this is another situation where you have like the alien hero with the alien culture and the alien social norms or whatever, you know, and so we we have to intuit some stuff that we don't get told by the author. But I can kind of picture that in his world, being that aggressive is more acceptable. Yeah, it's not that big a deal. And so what he's looking at is she saw someone in danger, rescued them. And then when her life was still crappy she moved on and made a better life and he thinks that's good yay and he thinks she's kick-ass he's definitely an avery fan he's got a low opinion of himself but he's he's super proud of how awesome she is that's true do you think that she considers him as awesome as he considers her you know that's a good question i would say that hannibal's awesomeness is a lot quieter than avery's avery's is very much like these are my facts these are the things that make me awesome. In your face awesome. And for Hannibal, even though he's a, a fire-breathing uh, devil guy, he's more quietly awesome. He's a decorated war hero. He's a single dad who loves his kid. He's rich and wants to share the wealth with his employees. He's just like a, a good dude. Yeah, generous. Basically. Basically, yeah. I think she sees all that. I don't know that it's the same. Like, I don't know that she's in awe of him the way he is of her. Yeah, I didn't get that impression either. I was just curious. The awe does not go both ways. I think she's equally attracted to him, though. So physically, yes. Oh, yeah. Physically in awe of him. But as far as his awesomeness, I think she's she's happy about it and into it and likes it. But I don't think she's in awe of it. No, I think you're right. But it kind of makes you wonder, too. It makes me wonder why is Hannibal in awe of her awesomeness? Yeah. Is it just because she's his mate? She's his being? Or is it because he had the prior relationship and he's realizing that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be now that he sees the real thing? Yeah. 
maybe also his ideas, whatever they may have been, his preconceived ideas of what humans are, were, were capable of. So the rainy season has started on Tarvos, which means that the hell beasts are mating. The hell beasts. The fire beasts are mating. (laughs) (laughs) Oopsie. Are there hell beasts? Come on. (laughs) Avery and Hannibal are kind of in this honeymoon period where Hannibal is going down on her and being all sweet and awesome but he's still like you will get tired of me and leave eventually I know this and she's like but uh, what if I don't want to leave what if I like it here (laughs) what if I throw a wrench in that plan of yours (laughs) let's see she takes dagger to his weekly appointment they find out that he's all fixed and all better now so he'll just need to do a six month checkup she sends out a message to Hannibal about it and then when they get home Grandma Narvi shows up Grandma Narvi is someone that she met when she was at Chloe's house and they really got along and she brought over an annotated history of Herokin finance for Avery to read which is right up Avery's alley that's probably why she likes she's all about the Herokin history especially finance (laughs) yeah she could just sit there read that to Hannibal and they could be very contented yeah so they're visiting but then she sees that she's getting a message from Hannibal this is where she admits to herself that she loves him because she's just so excited to get a message from him oh she couldn't possibly leave she loves him But she picks up the message and he says, you're in danger. Your security detail was attacked and the mercenaries have pinpointed your location. I'm heading this way, but you and Dagger need to get to a safe room immediately. (laughs) Oh, no. And she's just like, oh, shit. See, if she had been told, she may have been a little more on guard. Yeah. She says, Grandma Narvi's here visiting with us. And he says, you can do this, Avery. I love you. The call ends. And she shouts for Dagger. There's a blast, like an explosion against the house and everyone falls. It turns out Dagger and Skylo are fine, but Grandma Narvi got injured and knocked out. It looks like she has some sort of head wound. Avery gets Dagger and Skylo into a safe vehicle, safe room vehicle. Yeah, it's a safe house in a car. So then she programs it basically to run home, which is the the facility. Yeah, I'm I'm a little iffy on the logistics there. But at any rate, she gets them put in a vehicle and they're safely transported away. (laughs) Yay, the kid is not in danger or the quote unquote dog. And then Avery realizes they're after me. I need to keep Grandma Narvi safe. The only way I can do that is if I get them away from her. She jumps out of her hiding place and makes sure they can see her. And then she runs out through the rain, through the wall, into the preserve where the fire beasts are. And instead of running away from the fire beasts, she runs toward the fire beasts and veers to the side and makes her way into a hideout, which there were conveniently signs leading to it. And I was a little confused by this whole hideout thing. Like, did they walk around here at some point early in the story? And I just blanked it out. They didn't actually take the walk, but she comments that they did. Okay. That she and Hannibal had been walking through the preserve a lot, doing exercise and and spending time together. No, she she says that, but those moments don't take place in the story. Yeah, okay. Because for me, I was like, oh, wow, that came out of nowhere. How convenient. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I actually kind of wish that had been part of the story. <laughs> but at any rate, she successfully leads the mercenaries into the path of the fire beasts and the fire beasts attack the mercenaries. And she just stays in hiding while this all goes down. She just hears it. And then when it quiets down, she hears running coming toward her and she comes out and it's Hannibal. And he runs over to her and he's just like, Avery! Are you okay? And then they kiss and it's very romantic. And she decides, I need to convince this guy to marry me. She's kind of decided at this point, okay, I'm staying. I love him. I want him to commit to me. He told me he loved me. I know he feels this way, but he's never going to propose to me. So I'm going to propose to him. She gets Chloe and Riley in on it. She also calls Margaret and says... She's not going to leave. She's going to stay there forever and hopefully adopt Dagger if Dagger is amenable. And Margaret is like, oh, I'm going to miss you, but I'm happy for you. And it kind of makes me wonder if Margaret will be in a future book. Riley and Chloe are super on board. They're like, okay, we're going to help you get married to him. So a couple days go by. She has set up a wedding or a bound declaration ceremony, but she's got it set up already. She's assuming he'll say yes. Well, he did tell her that he loved her, like, after the danger. Still, though. Like, when he found her in the... Th- I know, but... <laughs> yeah, I know, she does kind of spring it on him. Yeah, the morning of the wedding that he doesn't know about, she wakes him up with a blowjob. At first, he stops her, but then she convinces him to let her continue. And so she does, and it's amazing, and he loves it, and she loves it. They get dressed to go out, and he's like, where are we going? Why are you wearing that white dress? No reason. They go outside of the bedroom and go down the stairs, and everyone is there. And she says, this is our bound declaration ceremony. I'm never leaving. I never want to leave. (laughs) (laughs) You're stuck with me. Consider me the old ball. Yeah, he gets emotional looking. She makes a public declaration how much she loves him and cares about him and his son and his Wolverine. She wants to be with him always and be his partner. And she pulls out a giant thick wedding ring that she had bought for him and waits for him to say yes. And then he agrees. He says, I love you too. And then he kneels and pulls out a black box with a ring in it, just like the black market vid shows that Avery loves to watch. (laughs) He pays attention. Yeah, he does the traditional human thing too and proposes to her in front of everyone. And then they get married and then Avery has a talk with Dagger and Dagger says that he wants her to be his mom. And so that's really sweet. That was very sweet. Very touching. And that was one of those things too in the story that felt really genuine to me. The relationship between Avery and Dagger because they over the course of the story bond and have shared experiences and things like that. So it felt realistic that he would be attached to her. Yeah, it did. And then they go on a honeymoon to Perth, which is apparently another planet or something. And it's amazing. They have sex before they leave. Finally. Oh, And in the middle of sex, he like asks her, like, so do you want to stay on Tarvos or what about your business? Do you need us to move (laughs) so you can be where your business is? And she's like, no, no, it's fine. I can do it remotely. It's all been taken care of. And then you find out again how amazing and kick-ass she says, because she says something like, you think I've spent the last two moon cycles analyzing only your business? 
So apparently this whole time she's been his assistant and also financially consulting for his business and also doing other consultancies. (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't like to be idle. She's busy lady. But she retires from the IBB and is only going to run her own business from now on. Probably for the best. And then we get an epilogue that's five years later and you find out that they're happy and wonderful. And in addition to Dagger, they've had a daughter and she's pregnant with a second daughter. And everything's wonderful. The end. Yay. So how was the audiobook for this one? I enjoyed it. Neva Navarre and Patrick Zeller were the narrators and I think they did a really good job. In the story, they say how polite and almost formal uh, Hannibal is and Zeller did a really amazing job. And I think Navarre really was Avery. You know, she captured the bubbliness yet the sass and the confidence and everything. And they complemented each other really well. That's good. Like sometimes the the take of one narrator on the other person in the couple is vastly different or doesn't have the same like feel basically. These ones felt very balanced. Maybe not identical, but I've always kind of chalked that up to, well, that's that character's interpretation of that character. Mm -hmm. But no, I actually, I really enjoyed it. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we get into our our normal stuff? So there were moments in the story when Avery was physically klutzy. You know, like when she first gets there and she's still getting her bearings and then the overenthusiastic big pet, which that was fine to me because I know we've talked about female characters and their klutzinesses. Right. I think that's a word. We'll go with it. (laughs) It was great because in other areas, like when she was running for her life, she didn't fall. You know, there was none of that like, oh no, I've tripped over myself or or whatever. Maybe it is silly to notice these things in stories, but I do. So. Well, the thing is, is that clumsiness is a trope that often appears in romance novels. And the fact that there are points where the heroine in the story is clumsy, it didn't feel tropey to me at all. It felt realistic. Because the points where she was falling over were times when I could imagine also falling over in that situation. Exactly. Because clutziness is is a legit thing. So I think it was handled really well. And I know I brought this up before, but stairs. She went up and down stairs. She helped other people up and down stairs. She did not fall (laughs) or anything. That pleased me because you know she had her lady stilts on. That delighted me to no end. And I think one of the reasons is it finally maybe dawned on me is I think the stairs thing, one of the reasons that it gets to me is so often in stories, in fact, with the previous story that we read, Sustained, it was used in this way where, oh, the woman fell down the stairs is code for abuse. Huh. It's got, it's like a little trigger for you. Yeah. I think maybe it is. (laughs) I had a revelation. Oh, that's such a you thing to point out, though. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the good things about having these discussions, though, is that you think about things in a much different way than I do. I I didn't think about stairs that way. (laughs) Clearly something (laughs) about them was very triggering for me. And I think that's probably why. Well, and it's interesting, too, now that you've brought it up, because I can think back to many stories that I read where stairs are an issue. (laughs) Oh no, what if I started an avalanche, an avalanche of stairs? My eyes have been opened. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) 
or yay. Maybe that's good. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so are you happy for their happy M? I am happy for them overall. You sounded genuine about that. That's so good. Yay. <laughs> and no, no, no sarcasm. At least no more than is inherently <laughs> in my speech anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a feel-good, fun novel. You get kind of caught up in their mutual happiness and attraction to each other and all of that. Or at least I did. What about you? Oh, yeah, I was happy for them, too. This book is very cozy, I would say, as far as a romance story goes. And so it is very happy and fun and frothy. And it's meant to be that way. And while there is darkness that gets touched on, it doesn't overtake the story at all. But as far as the couple together, you know, they got a lot of couple time in. They spent time Mm -hmm. together. They got to know each other. They opened up to each other about their pasts. They had common interests. So it felt realistic that they would be together and yeah, I was happy for their happy. The insta-love thing or insta-lust thing that happened at the beginning of the story, I think if this had been a longer book, it would have graded on me a little bit more, but because it was such a short book, um, only like 150 pages, I think, it made a lot more sense for pacing. Yeah, I agree. So what about Avery? How do you rate her on the AAA system? I put her as awesome. I loved Avery. She was delightful. I enjoyed reading about her, her character, her personality. What about you? I really liked Avery too. I think she's awesome as well. She was very relatable in a lot of ways. I liked that she was normal in a lot of ways. Although she did have a little bit of like, I'm superwoman because I'm brilliant and can do all these things. (laughs) But I mean, we did touch on it a little bit, and it is kind of like that wish fulfillment type of fantasy sort of thing, you know? And I'm happy for her. Like, I'm glad that she's that awesome. Like, you go, girl. You get it, (laughs) you know? So I was here for it. I thought she was awesome, too. (laughs) Continue to kick all of the ass. Kick an ass for (laughs) me, too. (laughs) I have names. (laughs) I have a list. What about Hannibal? I put him as mostly awesome. Like there were some little things, but they were largely little things. But I think he's also a character that's basically a good person, which is nice. Yeah. Some of the controlling things a little bit, but there wasn't the threatening thing that so often seems to come with those or the creepy. And then there was the, I'm not going to tell her that her life is in danger. Wait, what? For the most part, I, I really enjoyed Hannibal. What about you? I think he's awesome. There were a couple things that were a little, you know, like a little red flag here or there, but they were easy enough to overlook or discount because of the setting of the story. Mm -hmm. And the tone. Like we discussed before, things that would be like, oh, ew, with a human uh, character were less ew with an alien character. Yeah. It's weird how that works. I mean, he is basically a good person, you know, he's quietly awesome, I think. What about the antagonists or villain in the story? Is there one? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's in the beginning very present. She is fleeing from them on barefoot. And at the end of the story, very present. Again, she's fleeing from them. I think she has shoes. Yes, she does have her walking shoes on, she said. (laughs) At least she has shoes. (laughs) 
So, I mean, they were there, but they're they're not why you buy the ticket for the train. <laughs> I would have preferred more physical threat, but I mean, it's it's that would have changed the entire tone of the story, too, especially considering there was an eight-year-old kid. It would have changed everything, and I genuinely enjoyed all the feel-good. It's tricky. It, part of me is like, more of it, and then part of me is like, but at what cost? What about you? <laughs> I'm I'm conflicted. I'm on board with your conflict there. I I agree. <laughs> Join uh, the to conflict a, train. to a pretty large extent because initially when I was reading the story, I was a little bummed out. Like, oh wow, now the bad guy is completely gone. Like they're not a non-issue. Yeah. And then they show up right at the end, and again, it's like, oh, they're still a non-issue. But Avery gets to protect herself, (laughs) which is awesome. It gives Avery an opportunity to shine on her own, and it gives Hannibal an opportunity to let Avery be Avery. Like, let her be awesome. Like, to show that he trusts her, that she can handle things. And he doesn't give her crap about it. Yeah, he's not mad at her for being in danger. How dare you protect yourself (laughs) in this manner? Because it's not this other manner that I would prefer. (laughs) I would say say that the antagonist for the most part was just there to get the story started and then at the end it had to be resolved somehow so that's why it was there i will say this like with the story there weren't too many like extraneous elements you know everything was pretty tightly done yeah this was a really really tight story i don't think it had any extra things in it so how would you rate the book so I rated it a three. Ah, okay. I really enjoyed reading it. It was a fast read. It was enjoyable. I think that if I had read the first two books, it's possible I would have rated this book higher. The reason I didn't, the reason it's a three, is that I still, I want more of that world building. I want to know more about what is going on. What type of world are we in? And while the author did a really good job of not treating us like we're dumb and just putting hints here and there and clues here and there which I really appreciated I wanted more of it but I'm willing to admit that that probably is stuff that got built on from the prior two books so I would say provisionally a three because I've only read this book what about you I give it a 3.5 oh that's really yeah I enjoyed it I enjoyed Avery lots of feel-goods it was a very tight story which good I felt like I needed more more of them like I don't know like it just it almost felt too short and maybe maybe part of that is I was missing some world building maybe part of that was I was just missing more villain more something I needed I don't know maybe that's the thing is I liked Avery so much I'm like no no I want more of these characters oh wait it's done damn it (laughs) maybe that's the problem is I really it was too good therefore I'm writing it down (laughs) maybe I don't know like it just it felt like there was stuff that was like that I needed that wasn't there so Erica did you feel romanced oh that's tricky oh I don't think I did oh no yeah I don't know I think that I think that because it was so fast like I was happy for them and everything and I was into it and they definitely had chemistry but it just didn't like sweep me along with it or whatever yeah what about you no and I think one of the reasons that I didn't was even though I really really love the characters I think the pacing of it was so quick I want more foreplay. (laughs) 
Jen and I actually have had this discussion about the pacing of stories because she likes a faster paced story. I can, depending on the story, lean more towards a slow, slow burn, just stories in general, not necessarily romance. I think that the reason is, is because you sacrifice character. Even if the characters are very enjoyable, there's somehow there's not enough. You sacrifice that connection for the reader. Maybe that's what it is. It's just not so much that the characters weren't developed well, but it's just, it's time with the reader the characters need to spend more time with the reader for more of a connection i don't know yeah i could see that and i know that for you uh character development and that connection with the character is one of the more important aspects of the story i do like my characters i think for me it's it's kind of like the mood of the story like did i buy in how much did i buy into it Mm. and i think with with a faster pace it's harder to have that time to buy in do you wonder if it's possibly a combination of fast paced as well as feel good do you think that somehow that combination requires less emotional investment plus the pacing being so quick You don't have the time. I would say that's probably accurate. I think that shared trauma brings closeness. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I didn't experience any trauma with these characters. Or so, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be trauma per se, but yeah, a shared emotional. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Something. And I mean, that's the thing, too, is is that uh, one of the things that I really like about romance stories is that you're virtually guaranteed that, you know, the main couple is going to get together and be happy. And so the emotional investment, like it's not an unsafe story to read in that regard. Mm -hmm. Even when it's a darker story, even when horrible things happen, there's like that safety net there in the background for me. Yeah. Light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So I would say that to an extent, it being happy and fuzzy and frothy and cozy isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think you're right. I think that if if it is cozy, then there needs to be more. Now that I've asked that, I think maybe that's the more uh, I'm sort of articulating that more that went into my rating or the lack of more. Even though I was enjoying myself, it made it tricky to emotionally invest. Yeah, it didn't have that hook. I continued to roll on and gather no moss no romantic moss (laughs) or something like that i don't know ew (laughs) dude it's midnight i'm allowed to get a little weird at midnight okay so what else are you reading (laughs) not something weird i guess the coziness continues right now i i'm not (laughs) quite finished with it i'm very close to it's called miss frost solves a cold case and it's by Kristen painter so back to nocturne falls you know halloween 365 so jane frost who's jack frost's daughter and santa's niece goes undercover to figure out why the elves are going missing from santa's workshop in nocturne falls so i i really enjoy painter's romances very cozy very feel good she does relationships in general like not just romantic ones but also friendship or familial very well and she has good character development her characters all have good chemistry yeah platonic and romantic a word of caution if if you're very spoiler sensitive because if you've read all of her romances there can be spoiler elements in this i didn't particularly find anything spoiled to the point where i 
they couldn't enjoy the story. I'm sure there's some website out there that probably, probably the author's website that puts them in reading order for if you don't want to be spoiled. Is there a cat? There is. His name is Spider. (laughs) And he's a black cat. (laughs) And I want him. Like so many of her cat characters. (laughs) I want them all. I want to collect them all. I actually have Spider listed in my notes as one of the things that I love. (laughs) What about you? What are you reading? (laughs) So I'm almost done with Demon Mine by Marina Simcoe. I think I said her name correctly, hopefully. Fingers crossed. This is book one in the Demons series. And it's a pretty dark story. It's not for everybody. It's a paranormal romance. Mm -hmm. A woman gets kidnapped from her bedroom and spirited away to a, I guess, like a jail cell, sort of, where she's given like the bare minimum of comfort. Okay. She has guards that are completely masked and covered rude that do not speak to her also rude and every day or night or whatever she gets taken to a room strapped to a what are those called the cross things St. Andrew's Cross? Yeah. And um, stimulated to orgasm while surrounded by like a group of masked scary guys. Okay. But she's basically been there for a long time, like weeks, and is slowly going crazy. It turns out that her guard gets changed. She's had this one main handler (laughs) uh, for a while and they've they can tell that she's kind of on her last legs as far as survival is concerned. And so she's been assigned to this other handler who feels a, I guess, a connection with her or whatever. Okay. He actually speaks to her, which is forbidden. And they form a, I don't even know if you'd call it friendship, but it's almost like a a very slight amount of trust. Okay. (laughs) Sliver of trust. It turns out that because... He has given her the barest amount of compassion. She performs much better in the arena, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And that causes her to get the attention of the head guy because she's not the only captive. Oh, okay. And so when he likes one of the, you know, women, he basically sucks them dry like their life force like he sucks it all out of them and they die that's unpleasant turns out these are incubi okay (laughs) (laughs) so anyway she catches the guy's attention he's like oh hmm her handler decides that he needs to save her and he kidnaps her well i don't know if kidnapping is the right word but he liberates he takes her away and and saves her and rescues her and then much of the book is like after that. Okay. Yeah, but it is it is dark. There is a lot of uh, non-consent, dubious consent, especially at the beginning. Given what you said, that makes sense. So it might not be for every reader. Once she communicates to him, you know, like how she feels about these things, he changes how he acts with her. 
Oh, okay. He he's not icky in the whole book. Well, no, that's good. <laughs> I mean, especially since it is a romance, and so in theory we'd root for them. It's nice that he has redemptive aspects. I'm a little iffy on paranormals in a lot of ways, but I do like the dark aspect of it and the exploration of the emotional development of this relationship. Yeah, that seems really interesting. Because it's a lot different from a lot of books. Okay, so that's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Join us next time when we discuss Pitifully Ugly by Robin Alexander. Bye! Bye! Oh my gosh, you went like three hours. Yeah, that was really long. <laughs> I thought we were almost done with the story and then we just kept talking. There were a couple of times when I was like, okay.